got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expenses, the wind is expensive. I got expenses, the wind is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the freight sales show for closers here at Global, the, the, the Global Supply Chain Week, Retail right. Day. That's right. Good to see you, Kevin. It's good to see you too, Richie. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the host of Put That Coffee Down, here with my co-host, Richie Daigle. Got some big coffee mugs up here today. I know. Too. It's, it's very, we have a good name for, for today and the Redwood mugs up here. Put That Coffee Down, freight sales. It's all about freight sales, isn't it? That's right. And it's about competitive advantages as well. It is. It is. We're going to talk about competitive advantages and advantages with none other than Jared Hall from Ryder and Matt Crawford from Big Commerce. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, you know, and these, I think one competitive advantage when you're making coffee mugs is this coffee mug will hold approximately 5,000 ounces of coffee. <laughs> And that might be an advantage that you could have. And if, you, if you're in supply chain, if you're in transportation, you're, if you're in logistics, every morning you come to the office, you need about 5,000 <laughs> ounces right. uh, of coffee to power through the day. So, yeah, we're going to talk about competitive advantage. Competitive yep. advantage, so what does that really mean? And why is that such the fuel that really the sustainable energy? We're going to talk about sustainability a little bit throughout this week. It is the sustainability energy for sales. When exactly. you have a competitive advantage as a business, as you know, business sells, it's all the same thing, right? If you have that, you have some power to go to market. Yeah, and what jumps to mind for me uh, right out of the gate when I start thinking about competitive advantage, one is value, right? Like I have something that's going to drive, my, our product's going to drive more value, a bigger ROI than anything you could ever imagine. And, and the other is how short of a ramp is there to value, period? And I think about it in terms of seafood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about this. I, I, I can tell you about a place in northern Scotland where you can get scallops that are the size of your palm that come out of clean waters and you can eat them raw because that's how clean the water is. and That's how amazing those scallops are. And I can say these are the greatest scallops you'll ever have in your life. All you got to do is take a, a six-hour flight to, to Edinburgh and then take another four-hour train car ride up to the highlands and get on a boat and you'll lead them on the boat. Mm-hmm. And you might be telling me, listen, Richie, that sounds great. I just want to eat dinner tonight. Like, I don't have time for, like, so if the ramp's too long, it doesn't matter what the value is. That's a problem. But if you have a really short ramp, like, hey, I brought them right here to mm-hmm. you. Um, they're, you know, been out of the water for an hour because I got some magic that just happens. Uh, now there's something that, is that there's a real competitive advantage. You've, you've meshed two competitive advantages to, you know, like a super competitive mm-hmm. advantage. And Sears did that, what, 100 years ago? And now Amazon did that to Sears. <laughs> they recently. did. We'll get into that in just a second. So I, I'll do a definition to, to start off uh, from, from Investopedia. Competitive advantage refers to factors that allow a company to produce goods or services better or more cheaply than its rivals. These factors allow the productive entity to generate more sales or superior margins compared to its rivals. And what you're talking about just a second ago, short and long ramp, is the, the niche competitive advantages, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it is the, probably the, the best scallops in the world in a, in a little area in Scotland. But the, 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 the territory it really dominates is, is very small. Mm-hmm. And that can be very small to... You know, let's call it the Amazonification uh, of a lot of companies, the Walmartification, where you have a very sizable 
sustainable or competitive advantage, but those always erode over time as new competitors come in, new technologies come in, as we will see with, with Sears, Roebuck, and Amazon, which I, I think is a, a great uh, case study here on Retail Day to major <laughs> retailers. So the retailer of the, the, the past, who was a dominant force, created, a, I, I will call it a technology, a huge technology and a, and a method to, to, to get to consumers all over the, the U.S. They made it easy for, concern, for consumers to purchase money at both companies, right? Mm -hmm. And their technologies were very, very similar for their day and age. Uh, you know, Sears didn't adjust with the changing landscape. Time will tell if Amazon does. Yeah, the first Sears robot catalog was printed in 1893, and it was like the internet of its day. It had everything that you could need if you're living in Manhattan, New York City, or on the plains of Oklahoma, or Kansas, or Texas, right? You, it just had a wide variety of merchandise that was always delivered and anyone could order it. It might take more than a day to, to get to you, of course, um, <clears throat> but you could order it and receive it. They made it so easy for people to give them their money. They did, yes. <laughs> that's essentially what that's, that's, that's another good thing, right? <laughs> you know, that the payments, you know, wasn't, you know, instantaneous payment, cryptocurrency or anything like that, but it was the best payment technology of the time. Exactly. It's like, here's here, you can spend money with us and we're going to make it so easy for you to do so that you're going to spend money with us. And and that's what Sears did. That's what Amazon's doing. And turns out that strategy works. It, it does. It does. The first one was printed in 1893. There are a few changes until the, the last one, which was 100 years later in 1993. Uh, a few things, the automobile being one, I guess, mm -hmm. roads, a couple world wars. Um, air traffic, you know, travel, uh, something called the internet that happened in the early 90s and really took everything by storm. So the last one they printed was in 1993. Amazon's first sell out in Washington was 1995. And the, the key thing that happened 10 years or 11 years there and abouts before 93 was the deregulation of the transportation, of truckload transportation. Mm -hmm. And, and that played a pivotal point in all of this as well as everybody in, in logistics and transportation is probably keenly aware. Keenly. I, I'm sure they are very keenly aware of that. Uh, if you're in chat, you know, drop us off, uh, you know, shoot over kind of what you, your favorite competitive advantage is, especially in the supply chain, transportation, logistics, kind of what you think is the, the a very unique uh, competitive advantage. But... You know, you know, the, going to the consumer, making it easy to buy, making it easy to pay. Amazon is the next generation of, of Sears. It doesn't really sound all that sexy, but that's what it is. It is. Uh, I think you had a nail on the head right there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's really interesting. And there, there's a few other competitive advantages. We're going to be talking about that with our guests here in a few moments. But, you know, I, I think... So there's, there's four keys that, that we can see throughout industries um, in the retail industry as well as in the supply chain, freight tech, brokerages, trucking companies, right? Is access to capacity at lower rates than your competitors can offer. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's it's speeding things up, right? Like mm -hmm. that, and, act, and getting those low rates in front of people quickly. If you can save, 
if you can save on the time front as well as the money front, you're you're burning both ends of the candle, so to mm -hmm. speak, and uh, that, you're getting to an advantage in that regard. But yeah, you got sure. some other good points here as well. Yeah, and number two is covered up there services or bundling of services that your com competitors can't offer or oftentimes won't offer. Mm -hmm. So they're just not able to get their their act together in a lot of ways to to offer two or three different services that bundle together. Uh, increase the value more than the, the sum of those parts. Yeah, You're, you think about the fast food value meal, right? Like, hey, you just put one price on it and you threw in the fries and the drink. I don't have to think about things. I can just say, give me the number one and boom, it's five bucks and it's done, right? Like, that's that's the, the mindset there. It was five bucks about 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I think it's like nine or $10 now. But hey, that's an excellent point. You know, you're bundling the... And McDonald's was first to do that. Now mm -hmm. everyone does that because the margins are so high on it. Mm -hmm. you, you tack on you know, extra dollar or two for products that, that cost 20 cents or a quarter to do. It drives that, that volume uh, of transactions. So mm -hmm. number three, expertise in a subject matter that your competitors cannot match. Yeah, so that's, that's being the, the smart person and the consultant in the room. It, it is. It's kind of the niche play. I like mm -hmm. to call it a niche play because you carve out your niche, you become an expert in it, your company becomes an expert in it, and then you drive higher margin sales. Yep, you're getting into con like consultative sales mm -hmm. instead of transactional. Yep, higher margins. We like higher margins. Even lower revenue with higher margins works out beautifully for a, a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. uh, business processes that reduce your costs or elevate your value, and this is, um, this is really just being very organized and efficient. Mm -hmm. the, the, the better efficiencies you have, the, the lower you can drive down your costs or your buying power offers uh, offers you either to reduce your prices under your competitors, still make the same margin or elevate those and keep the margin. I feel like that's what a lot of freight tech is aiming right now mm -hmm. is in, into internal efficiencies. Yep. Yeah. And that, that goes into the next one, technology data, business intelligence that reduces costs or heightens the value and then you can bundle all that together. Mm -hmm. And you can do a combination of all of these all over the place. Yep, yep. You're yeah. just making your own cocktail of a competitive advantage. You did, you did. <laughs> so uh, with that said, that's our kind of our breakdown of competitive advantages. Let's uh, throw it over to our first guest here, Jared Hall. He's a product owner at Ryder End-to-End Supply Chain. Uh, how are you doing today, Jared? Uh, doing great. How are you? Doing great. We are doing great ourselves. Uh, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on the, the, the new product. Uh, it's a warehouse visibility and, and rider share. Uh, our own editor-in-chief, Mike McAllister, and Kendra Phillips talked about it yesterday on day one. But in case you missed that, or audience, can you give us a little bit of background on it and, and what exactly it entails? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, a few years ago, Ryder launched uh, the, the transportation portion of our visibility platform, Rider Share. And what we've launched now here is the, the warehouse or the within the four walls complement to that transportation capability. Uh, so truly, we're bringing that end-to-end -end visibility where, as a customer, I can see my product on the road, in the in the warehouse, and then back on the road again to its final destination. So, yeah, we're we're pleased, we're happy, uh, glad to glad to be able to announce that this week. Yeah, congratulations on that. That sounds super exciting. And um, thinking about the retail industry, 
how is this functionality going to impact and, and help shippers that are within the, uh, the retail space? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Richie, you were talking earlier about competitive advantage and, um, you know, within the retail space, there may be a lot of customer or a lot of uh, companies that offer similar products and maybe that value is a little bit different or a little hard to distinguish. Uh, one of the things that we can provide through our rider share and rider share warehouse is uh, truly to, to help provide that trust that enables that relationship. And so when, when our customers' customers can, can have predictability on their shipments, you know, they can, they can see where the product is going, where it is. Uh, it enables our customers to, to develop those relationships, develop that trust, uh, and helps them to have, you know, an advantage in a world where perhaps there may not be as much differentiation between products. So, so with the rollout, you know, the customers adopting it, what are some of the results that they're seeing from the, the new program? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I think, I don't know, Richie or Kevin, one of you mentioned that, you know, a time factor before uh, and, and uh, kind of streamlining the uh, processes. One of the things that we've seen early with the adoption of this product is an ability to reduce the churn, uh, like email churn that comes with, you know, where is my product? What's the status? Uh, being able to reduce that email churn, eliminate some of the time that it takes to make a decision. That, that way we can speed up that decision-making process, you know, make things that make product available more quickly in the market. Um, so that, those are some of the early returns that we've seen. That's uh, great. Um, so switching gears a little bit here, you know, we're, this is a sales podcast. Usually we're, we're talking about sales oh. and freight sales and all things sales and closing and so on and so forth. And we don't oftentimes have product owners on the show. So I'm curious, uh, you know, what has it been like to be a, a product owner for a, for a large uh, organization like Ryder? Yeah, no, it's been, it's been a great experience. Uh, product owners are uh, maybe, maybe a unique aspect of a product owner, maybe not so unique, is we want to solve big problems. We want to solve important problems. And one of the nice things about the logistics industry is there are plenty of big and important problems to solve. And Ryder has done a really good job of allocating resources toward those problems, you know, providing the relationships that we need to go out and talk to customers, engage with them on what they're, you know, what it is that keeps them up at night. And so as a product owner, it's been, it's just been a wonderful experience, uh, to go, you know, be able to, to tackle these challenges, uncover them, talk to customers, work with them to, to prioritize what are some of the features that we need to build into our rider share platform. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been a, a really good experience uh, having those resources available, having the relationships, and then diving in to, to solve those big problems. So going off uh, kind, of, kind of topic that we were talking about earlier between Sears and Amazon, you know, Ryder's been around uh, quite a while, nice, rich history involved. Um, you know, why is it so important, you know, and, and how is it so important to, to really be on the forefront of technology? You know, how do you execute that and, and what's the importance of that for, for Ryder and for, for anyone who's been around for a long time? Yeah, Kevin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your analogy of Sears and Amazon. I think, uh, you know, as consumers... 
we we are used to having wonderful user experiences. Most of them, you know, most of them come through our uh, mobile devices, right? And so as we get used to that, we're going to demand some of that in our workplace. And so just like uh, Amazon provided a rich digital experience, uh, you know, a lot of visibility, frankly, uh, to the products that are out there, uh, Rider, it's, it's critical for Rider, imperative for Rider to also understand what are the technologies that are out there? What are the things, how are, how are our customers going to interact with us in the future? What are their demands going to be from a digital experience perspective? So I think that's, you know, that's one of the, one of the reasons why it's important for Rider to continue to invest in technology. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of innovation that's going on in, in freight and freight tech, right? I mean, we're seeing this, you know, VC, money pour into the industry. There's, there's a lot of resources coming in. There's a lot of innovation. There's, you know, it seems like every day I'm seeing something new, some sort of new mm-hmm. solution. Um, and I imagine that people that are out there that are product focused professionals that have that background are looking at a lot of various industries for where they can get involved. Does it, does it make sense to go into FinTech or to go into the retail space or, or, or logistics? Um, any advice for people that are in that space when they're you know, trying to decide where to go with their career, especially if for those individuals um, you know, that are product focused, that are considering logistics as a, a viable career path? Yeah, you know, that, that's a really good question, Richie, and one that I faced recently uh, transitioning out of the travel technology into logistics and supply chain technology. And, and one of the things that brought me into this industry, and I, and I, re- I mentioned this previously, is just the, the opportunity to solve really important problems. You know, we've seen over the last few years the, the, the challenges that have faced this industry. And uh, when I had the opportunity to come on to Rider, that, that was what drew me in was, hey, you're going to have the opportunity to solve this big visibility problem. You're going to have the opportunity to connect a supply chain end to end. And so that, that really brought me in. And I think a lot of POs, you know, product owners are excited about, hey, I want to solve big problems. Uh, I want to be able to, to get close to my customers, understand, you know, what keeps them up and, and then have the resources to solve that. So absolutely, uh, to me, you know, go, go look for the problems, you know, the big problems or, or even the problems that are most important to you that speak to you. Yeah, Justin, that's a great point. And, and something that, that Richie and I didn't touch upon uh, on the front of the show, we're going to do a, a little bit in the back half, is, you know, we always focus on our competitive advantage in, in sales. You know, we can do this. We're the only ones who can do this. Uh, you can't find this anywhere else. But is that really valuable to, to whoever you're talking to at the moment? And the, the strategy really in sales of focusing on your customer's competitive advantages and how to enhance those. And as a product owner, how does that thought process work out in kind of your creative process or your, you know, your product development process? So uh, from a creative process, I think uh, it's, it's important. Um, uh, I ascribe to the, the, the school of thought of, you know, stay close to your customers, uh, you know, feel their pain. Um, being close to them helps develop empathy, which is a, which is an important characteristic for a product owner. Um, and once you, once you can feel that empathy, uh, then, you know, those natural 
problem-solving tendencies start to take over, and, and you start to think about, okay, well, I can do this, and I can do that, and you know, and then it becomes a, a matter of, of priority. So I think that, to me, what's critical to that creative process and getting that kicked off is go talk to your customers. Go see what they're doing today. Where do they stub their toe? Um, you know, what, is it, what are the challenges that they face? And get so close to them that you can, you can understand their problems and speak their language, and then, you know, take those challenges back to your technology team, to, those, to others that, you know, frankly are smarter than I am at solving those problems, and let's go figure out how to solve them and do it in the best way possible. It's a great, great philosophy, and so that's a philosophy that makes great products as well. Uh, Jared, thanks just so much for, for joining us on Put That Coffee Down here at Global Supply Chain Week. We wish you all the best and success in your new product launch. All right, Kevin Ritchie, likewise. Glad to be on. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting. So we, we didn't touch upon it in, in the top of the show, but it really is. It's a great sell strategy to really focus in and hone in on your, your customer, your prospects, competitive advantages, and how your product, whether it's a commoditized product or if you have your own competitive advantages that you can't find anywhere, but we're really hone that in on enhancing your customer, whoever you're selling to, right? Enhancing their competitive advantages, they will listen to you. Exactly, and it goes back to who's the hero of the story, right? And are you the hero coming to save the day with your competitive advantage and your product? That's a lot of the, the mindsets that I've been guilty of taking in a lot of previous oh, we sales, all do. right? But um, if you switch that and say you know, the client is the hero, their competitive advantage, their business model, that is the true winner here. And we're just going to play a supporting role to enhance that. I think that's a, a better better path to take. It, it is. It, it definitely is. So let's welcome our next guest. It's Matt Crawford. He's General Manager of Shipping, Director of Strategic Business Development at Big Commerce. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing well. What a mouthful for you. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? A big, long title. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. titles should at least be able to fit on the screen, but sometimes they don't. And that's okay. Look, we uh, at the simplest level, we help our merchants use shipping to be a competitive advantage. We don't we don't work as much with the freight companies like you do, but but mostly mm -hmm. around how do our merchants connect the storefront experience, which is you know what are you buying, when's it going to get delivered, and the back end process of how do you fulfill and get it there and meet your promises. So everything you said resonates even with the long time. <laughs> That's great. Well, let's talk a little bit about big commerce and kind of the, the, these portals. I mean, is this uh, for small small medium sized retailers to uh, have tools to build their own e-commerce platform on a website. You got it. So think of think of a think of a merchant. It could either be just starting out. You know, so I'm launching a site selling. Uh, I sell bike tools or mm -hmm. custom make bikes, all the way up to big brands like Skull Candy or Solo Soap. You know, big big brands all use big commerce, same platform. And at the simplest level, brands can set up their storefront, design it, customize it themselves, or work with an agency, uh, market it, and have all the payment, tax, shipping, every all the integrations that you need in the checkout to facilitate an online transaction, as well as selling on the various omni-channel sites like an Amazon or any of the B2B sites as well. That's That sounds awesome. It sounds like a big toolkit with everything you need to like get up and running really quickly, if I'm hearing you correctly. And um, I imagine there's a lot of different decisions that companies or, or um, you know, new companies may be faced with, with choosing, right? Like which tools should I take? What options should I take here or there? Are there some best practices to, to follow if you're a brand new company and you're trying to sort out everything that is e-commerce shipping? Yes, yeah, so I, 
you know, I, I'd say if I, if I think of probably most of the audience here, you're shipping something today, you know, especially the merchants, they're shipping something that might be a B2B brand. They're not selling direct to consumer or they're a consumer, uh, like a D2C brand. They're saying, how do I get into B2B? And so I think the first thing, you know, when you say best practices, it's, it's way easier than it used to be. But I think my past life at PwC, it's been a million dollars to stand up an e-com site. You can do it for fractions of that big commerce today. And in just a couple months, you're up and running. So I'd say that, you know, the first thing is it's not as hard as it used to be. And if you look at your B2B site today and you think, holy cow, it's nowhere like what Amazon is, or it's nowhere like any of my favorite uh, consumer facing sites, there's a better way. And that's what big commerce does. Uh, and it's really, really easy. But what's the, you know, I love it, especially the, the people with their first businesses or maybe first time shipping something that they have an e-commerce platform now. What's the first thing that they overlook or that they really need to know when it comes to shipping? The first thing I think brands do is everyone tries to be Amazon and offer free shipping. And I think they forget that shipping is just a part of the overall offering. And as you start to grow, you start to say, hang on, I've had free shipping forever, but I'm losing money. And maybe your free shipping turns into a seven-day slow delivery. And you forget to think of how does the shopper experience end at shipping, but what do you need to do up front, whether it be through pricing, whether it be through promotion or merchandising on your storefront, but how do you make sure that the offer you have to a to a shopper, excuse me, is something compelling and you'd want to buy with yourself. And I think shipping is a core part of that. So do you see technology like this? I mean, obviously it has to be disrupting, right? This has to be a big disruptor in this space because now the small players, these small merchants can actually start to compete with these big, you know, Amazon like platforms. Um, do you see that getting to like an equilibrium? Are these types of tools making, uh, making it just as easy for these merchants to, to reach and service their target audience as going through the, the behemoth that is Amazon? Yeah, I think it's less on does it compete with Amazon and more of how does it complement, right? I think most businesses, when you get started, you might sell, you know, there's, there's probably two, you know, if I oversimplify two tracks, if you start on Amazon, or on a marketplace, you say, how do I grow? And big commerce allows you to create a branded storefront that it's your own. And you can also push your products to Amazon. Or do you start as a big commerce brand or, or on your own site and you start saying, I want to sell on Amazon or TikTok or Etsy or Mercado Libre or any of the big channels. And so I think it's less and less an either or strategy. And it's more and more, how do you sell where customers are in different ways? And, and the omni-channel of you know, the Amazons is just a component of, of your distribution strategy. You know, the, the, the sales distribution, not, not the physical distribution, mm -hmm. I guess. So I used to be a freight broker. I, I did a lot of cross-border transactions, Canada, Mexico. Uh, you know, Canada's, it's never easy, but it was, it was more simplified. Mexico uh, was very opaque and made a lot of money doing it because no one else wanted to do it, which is great. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do know from firsthand experience, cross-border shipping is, it can be a headache, especially for uh, someone who is making a physical product, you know, custom bikes, right? You're not an international uh, <laughs> freight forwarder or, or expert at it. So uh, what do your customers, uh, what, what do they need to know? What does any, anyone need to know about cross-border shipping on the e-commerce side? So the first thing is, again, I go back to my past life as a, as a doing big, big uh, supply chain work, and it was hard. Now, if you're a merchant on big commerce, there's half a dozen apps that you can download from our marketplace, maybe a dozen apps, that allow a brand to easily sell internationally. 
So that could range from at the simplest level displaying fully landed costs in your storefront. So if I'm in the US selling to Europe, it's showing the VAT rates. So a shopper knows what they're going to pay or what they're going to buy. They're going to pay what's shown in the checkout as opposed to a surprise bill. As you step up a little bit more in maturity, there's solutions like a global e which allow a merchant to put on their storefront and have an experience, whether it be through merchandising, pricing, taxes, currency, let's say, that allow a brand to have an experience for a shopper in China that's different than a shopper in the UK and different in Mexico. And then I'd say on the, the, the really more sophisticated, someone like a digital river or a modus link, allow a brand to fully outsource their international operations, not only from a supply chain perspective, but also taxes, um, registration, returns, customer service, all those things. So I'd say that, and that that's probably different than the, the, the pure supply chain question that you asked, but but I wanted to call out how, how there's things that can plug into your storefront in pre-built integrations that allow brands, you know, thousands of brands of big commerce to do this every single day. That's awesome. You know, I, I'm an avid cyclist. Um, you know, I'm fast enough to know that I'm not fast, you know, but <laughs> I also, I also know that, you know, the, the, the formula for the number of bikes any cyclist should have is N plus one, where N equals the number of bikes you currently have. So, um, you know, I, I'm also keeping my eyes open for all these other bikes that I would love to have. But, you know, there's six, seven months out on the wait times. And you just can't find the new stuff that you read about as the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to find. Um, and obviously, we all know why. You know, we're all faced with these headaches. But, uh, you know, Matt, coming from your perspective with, with, you know, where you are and what you're doing, where do you see the state of shipping and logistics for, for 2022? And are there any, you know, takeaways for our listeners, uh, you know, to help them best navigate and remain competitive in, in the current marketplace? It's a really hard question. It's almost unfair, especially for the smaller <laughs> brands right now. Like you hear Target who buys a ship, right? And, yeah. and as a like how is how do I compete with that, right? And, and so I think it's important that you know a couple things. One, there, there's supply chain folks, especially you know we talk about Rider folks like ShipBob that I work with that make it easy for brands to get product from overseas to their domestic warehouse. And they're you know that that's not an easy problem, and the strategies used are going to differ based on if you're big versus real real small. But I think the the most important thing for brands that best tip I have is be be open and transparent to shoppers on what you have and when they're going to get it. I think the worst thing we can all resonate with is you buy something today on a website, it never arrives. And I think that's why we all keep going back to Amazon is because it's it's predictable. It's it's what it, you see it on the site. It says it's going to deliver in two days and you're going to get it in two days. And I think one thing all retailers can can learn from that is it's okay to be out of stock. Um, there, there's easy ways to have customers sign up, say, hey, I want this thing. It's not in stock yet. Or, hey, I want, I want a new wrench on, on that site. It's not in stock yet. Send me an email when it's ready. We get a lot of customers that wait for that. But we're, we're very transparent about what we have in stock, when it's going to get back in stock. And when customers buy, they know they're going to get it and it's predictable. And I think that's something that amidst all the chaos and the unpredictability of supply chain and all the things we can't control, we can control that as merchants or retailers. And I think it's, that, that's the tip that everyone should be thinking about uh, as we continue through uh, maybe the turbulent times. So, so Matt, um, you know, Last couple of years, the pandemic has kind of thrown everything up, you know, the, the shipping uh, being, being one of it, the supply chain. But also, you know, we're, we're in this, this, this thing called the Great Resignation, huge job market turnover. A lot of people are just saying adios to, a, a, you know, your, your 
your typical job and going out and starting their own businesses. Uh, what are you seeing on the, the e-commerce trends on your platform of, of that happening? Is that really happening or just something that everyone's talking about, but no one's really doing it? Are you seeing an uptick in, in people who are leaving their jobs to, to go just start their own thing? I don't know if I can tie it directly to people starting their own jobs. But what I did see is, you know, when COVID shut the world down, you know, think, heck, it's, it's like two years ago now, right? And, and everyone said, I can't even go to retail anymore. I think we saw a really, really seismic shift of brands that said, I can't sell online, so I have to. And it blended what's what happens in person and what you see online. And I, I think that shift's real. We continue to see more merchants come online. We continue to see more merchants sell more online, you know, for those that are, that are still with us. Um, and I think that the trajectory from a consumer, the, the D to C is one thing, but the biggest shift we've seen, I think the structural shift is the businesses that are selling more online now than they did in the past. I see a lot of the big manufacturers selling direct to consumer. I see a lot of the businesses that sold the business of the traditional B to B buyers that you used to have to call a rep and place an order. A lot of that's going online. And so I think that's been the biggest structural shift that isn't talked about as much. You asked about the, the, you know, me as Matt quit my job to go sell. And that's happening. But the structural shift, I think, is the B2B and the acceleration there. that um, doesn't get talked about as much. Exactly. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for joining us on, on Put That Copy Down here at Global Supply Chain Week. Uh, how do uh, people learn more about big commerce? So BigCommerce, we're a, we're a, a SaaS-based e-commerce platform. You're welcome to go create a trial on BigCommerce.com. You can uh, go to BigCommerce.com and recommend a, uh, or I guess reach out and have a chat with one of our sales reps. Uh, you also can find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to have a chat with anyone here as well. All right, great. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You bet. Great. So talking about competitive advantages. Competitive advantages in automation, technology, everything. Well, he brought up something really interesting there at the very end, which was talking about how big manufacturers were starting to go to direct to consumer and, and something, you know, going back to cycling, um, Specialized, which is one of the largest bike manufacturers in the world, is now opening up direct to consumer. Uh, so they are making a big, that's causing quite an up, uproar in the cycling community because now instead of going to your local bike shop, that's a specialized dealer you can just go online and buy something and you're cutting out the small bike shops to a certain extent and specializes making this kind of uh, big, big move. And um, it's interesting because obviously they've done some math and they feel like there's a competitive advantage there with shortening that distance between how quickly they can get their end consumer a bike that they want. Um, but it, it's, you know, is this a competitive advantage that is going to be resilient over time? How is this going to play out? Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting in, innovation always keeps happening. So competitive advantages are always changing, right? Mm -hmm. It's not static. You don't just arrive one day and say, oh, I have this competitive advantage. I'm going to just sit back. Uh, sometimes you grow so large that you can't adapt and you can't pivot. Sears mm -hmm. being one of those big cases, right? And you're, you're seeing it uh, with a few other large companies out there who went the first into the technology revolution, whatever the space they, they were in or they are in, and they're struggling now. Because the cash cow, the, the large, you know, you don't risk it all when you're getting money every day. Yeah, and I think that there's a shift that can happen with a company like Sears, right? They start off with 
this is going to be awesome for our for our clients and for our consumers and our, our target audience. We're going to drive so much value for them. And then decades later, they've had all this success and the mind, the mindset subtly shifts to we did it. We we've, did it. we've arrived and now we just have to hold on. What we've done has been so successful. We're just going to continue this. Mm-hmm. And they're not paying enough attention to the, the changing dynamics that are out there and how a previous solution may not be viable for the market conditions that are, in, that are, that are current or happening in real time. And I think technology is changing so fastly or so rapidly now that, you know, the, maybe uh, in the, the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, you might have a 40 or 50 year. You know, mm-hmm. you saw that with Walmart too. Huge huge competitive advantage and, and they made their own competitive advantage. It's a wonderful story. Um, but that's kind of trickling out, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's always changing. And here we have Gregory, uh, Gregory, I'm just going to say Gregory D. Uh, data is the greatest competitive advantage anyone can leverage. The data attached to a package is as important as the package itself. And that's uh, from the, the, the founder and CEO of Federal Express, Fred Smith. Nice. That's all. That's a great point. Yeah, and we, we see it. We, we see it here with Sonar as well. Yeah, is is competitive advantage is the data. Yeah, and when that competitive advantage is rooted in, like you were talking about earlier, in your client and your prospect or your client's competitive advantage, and in them being the hero of the story, when that's the the holding the the crux and the root of of what you're selling, then it's going to be more resilient to some of these changes that are happening in the marketplace because you're dialed into your client's needs. I think the moment that you start shifting away from your client and you start being inward focused is you're, you're taking the first step towards uh, a Sears downfall. <laughs> you are. You, you definitely are. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's do this right now. Let's give away something. Yeah. You want to give away it. something, Richie? Well, let's do this. Apple Watch Series 7, the newest and best coming up right here. And it is Joanne Stores. Oh, this is a... The, the company, Joanne Stores, uh, Jamal Johnson, Director of Product Development. Jamal Johnson, you want an Apple iPhone? No, Apple Watch, right? It's not Apple, Apple iWatch. Is it iWatch, Richie? Yeah, well, it's, it's an iPhone for your wrist. It's <laughs> an iPhone for your wrist, yes. So the newest series, Series 7, that'll ship out. Hopefully the supply chain will, will, will be quick and, uh, and, and prompt for you. So, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, so once again, join stores, Jamal Johnson, Apple Watch Series 7. And um, talk about uh, a, a company, competitive advantages, Apple. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, if you go back to the very early stages, I don't know if you've heard the story about Apple at the very, very get-go with Steve Jobs and how he was so dead set on the, this whole concept of a mouse and having, yes. having a click. And everyone was like, you're crazy. And he was like, no, this is, he, he had a vision and he knew that the vision was going to resonate, you know, with the end consumer and was going to be a disruptor and a game changer. And he stayed with it and he was dedicated to that. And, and he was right. And here we are with Apple. Oh, here we are with Apple. I, 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 you know, there's, there's all kinds of books and literature around competitive advantages. Uh, you're, you're seeing competitive advantages pop up. We're, we're talking about it all week in mm-hmm. the supply chain. You have great tech, uh, infinite money. Uh, not infinite, but a lot of money uh, over the last few years pouring into the industry. You're seeing a lot of great technologies. We talked to Ryder. 
uh, with, with Rideshare and, and went from, from transport to, to warehouse and automation, 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 all over the place. Yeah, and I think efficiency is a big part of it. You know, I think that what the pandemic has done is kind of exposed some of these inefficiencies that existed in supply chain and in transportation as a whole. Um, and now there's an opportunity. You know, it, it's it, I go back to baseball. Forgive me here, but you know, if you're a hitter and you've just been eating 85 mile an hour pitching and just crushing it, and every once in a while you have a slump and a hot streak, but you know you're doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, all the holes in your swing aren't really visible. <laughs> but then here comes a pitcher that's got a 96 mile an hour fastball and a devastating breaking ball. And now you just can't hit. You're struggling to make contact. And the only thing that changed was what you're faced with. Your swing was the same, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. what's kind of happening to supply chain and transportation is like, oh man, maybe our swing wasn't as good as we thought it was. And there's some holes and there's a lot of things that need to be plugged up and some changes that need to be made. And a lot of this money that's going into freight tech, I think, is addressing a lot of these inefficiencies. And efficiency is a word that, you know, keeps on coming up over and over and over. I, I think it is. I, I think driving down costs is, is very important for, for anyone in this industry. Um, it's, it's, the, it's all paper-based. We, we hear it all the time, right? It's, it's all paper-based or Excel-based. And everyone is, is coming out and developing new tools. You have AI. Um, machine learning, it's very technologically focused. Uh, one of the things I, I really like and I really look for for companies to do it well, uh, McDonald's being one, you mentioned that earlier, is bundling. I think bundling mm-hmm. is something that any salesperson can do to, to really enhance uh, the value of what they have sometimes. Because sometimes you're selling what you have. Mm-hmm. It might not be the, the, the best. It might not be the prettiest. It might not be anything with a lot of competitive advantages. But one thing you can do is bundle your services, mm-hmm. layer up the value, and that will give you a fighting chance. Yeah, and you make that ramp easier, right? Mm-hmm. Like your value might be like, okay, I don't have the Scottish scallops, you know, but I got some good ones and I got them for you right here in front of you. Like that's And I can create changes. a great story about the Scottish scallops, <laughs> right? The, the, they might not taste as good as the, the, the ones that you have to fly to Scotland to get, but I'll make it an enjoyable experience because I will tell you the story and get your buy-in for that. And you know what? That'll make it taste better. It will. It actually will. It, it really does. <laughs> it, it, it does. It works out like, like a charm. So, um, so yeah. So we're about to wrap up here in a few minutes. And we have an exciting afternoon for you. After this show, we have Jack Dalio, our very own staff writer here, talking to, to Sam Saad. From Gaddock, talking about nice. autonomous middle mile refrigerated. They've been doing some exciting things on that front. Uh, and, and with the, the rise in e-commerce and grocery e-commerce, it's a, it's a good story uh, right there. And then we have our own Marcus Solomon talking about warehousing, talking about retail space, industrial uh, Space Pro Lodge just, just came out uh, very recently. Said that there are, I think, 97, 97.5% uh, occupancy right now. Wow. And so we have very tight, very tight warehousing. Um, but you have dry warehousing, you have cold storage, you have that whole story uh, available right there with uh, Chris Borgson and Mark Solomon. And then we have Great Quarter Gals coming up. Great show. Great show. show. Kaylee Nix and Grace Sharker, our very own, plus one of my favorite people in the world, Bruce Chan from Steeple. Yeah. And if you've never seen Bruce in action, 
He has great commentary around the markets. He covers that uh, down in South Florida for, for Stiefel. And then my good friend, Andrew Lockwood, after that with myself talking about the driver shortage, or maybe is it really a shortage? And how do you gauge that shortage? Is it just, you know, is it just unattractiveness of the industry? How do you kind of mold those things together? A lot of great content on the way is what I'm hearing. A lot of great content to wrap up day two. And then after that, we go into CPG in day three, automotive on day four, and then, you know, heavy industry, manufacturing, oil, all rounding out on the final day, Friday, day five. But you can catch us here again. See you then. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expenses, because winning's expensive. I got expenses, because